everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record video. Then we discovered Zencaster. Zencaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become a breeze. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record, publish, and episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording remotely without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code BGA you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together this is chris and this is anthony and this is episode 397 no thanksgiving games take that family games we like to thank all our patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode all right folks welcome back to the table and in particular for our feature episode on this episode we're talking about the table that you'll all be sharing at your holiday, I guess, Thanksgiving time. And in part of thinking about Thanksgiving, it's always about sharing those wonderful times with family. And sometimes it's about nailing your family to the table with a great board game because you know what? They deserve it. <laughs> they do deserve it. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, the funny thing about these games, we'll talk about these in a little bit, is, you know, I, I've talked about this before. I taught a class back in the spring at Drexel about board games, right? And some games hit and some games missed, but the games that always hit the hardest were these take that games. <laughs> I know I didn't expect that because these students didn't know each other before the class. Yeah. They're freshmen in college. They're very nervous. They're anxious. And they're like, sure. no, I like destroying this person. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm like, all right, I got to get a lot more take that games into that curriculum because that's apparently it's, it's a universal language. It is jabbing each other as hard as you can in a board game. Yeah. What, and especially what's family for, if not jabbing each other at the table. Yeah. So now you get to do it in board game cardboard format. So this will right? be our no thanks given games. And we'll talk a little bit more about that on our feature review and talk about how these games should be at your Thanksgiving table or any of your tables during this holiday season. But Anthony, before we go into that, talking about giving no thanks, yeah. I got I got to see what I did. I did that. I did a thing there. Your transition. I love it. 
<laughs> I think we're all pretty much aware of this on some level, even if you're not an old time throwback fan. Heroescape was just monumentously re-released and, and just like the announcements and Hasbro was bringing it back. It was this grail game that had been out of print forever and it was finally coming back and it was it was like the grail game of grail games and if you had it, it was a dream. If you missed it, you, you just cringed all the time and Hasbro decided to bring the game out on their own platform and now it looks like it's not going to back and therefore they're not going to release it to anybody. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very much like I'm taking my toys and going home. Like <laughs> unpainted I, toys. Unpainted toys, yes. <laughs> Here's the thing with this, too. Like, you know, and, and it's not the first time that one of these companies has put out a thing. I mean, like, we're gonna crowdfund it ourselves on our own platform and you're gonna buy it for whatever we say, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what happened with Hero Quest. Yes. And it worked. They made the money, they published the game, it's out there. Uh-huh. But HeroScape Age of Annihilation, they were like, okay, here's the thing. We need 8,000 backers, and you all mm-hmm. need to pay $250. <laughs> there are no tiers, no pledge options, and it's a bunch of generic plastic unpla- unpainted. Yes. Get on it. And they don't have 8,000 backers. They're a month in now, and they have 3,400, which is good. Yeah. If this was on Kickstarter, it would be $850,000. Yes. <laughs> And honestly, if it was on Kickstarter run by a company that knows how to run a Kickstarter, it would be a lot more than that because they would have stretch goals and alternate uh, ways to back it. They'd have IPs mixed in there somehow. But Hasbro, Avalon Hill, they're like, nope, we're not doing any of that. This is everything you get. Here's a picture of it. One single picture, everything you get. Give us all your money, please. The end. And And then they post this thing in the last week where they're like, if we don't back it, if we don't get 8,000 pledges, we're putting it back in the quote unquote vault. Yes. <laughs> like it's so terrible. It's, it's so mean. That's that's like what they used to do with like the Disney films. Yeah. It's just like you're never going to see this again, kids. And see the kids crying. Yeah. This is such a weird situation, as you mentioned. Like Kickstarter does this kind of all the time. But again, I know I'm being idealistic and naive about this whole thing but once upon a time and i know it really wasn't true but once upon a time just go with it here once upon a time kickstarter (laughs) was about supporting you know the creation of projects that not normally would have the opportunity to be created without the crud crowdfunding sources and now it's not that at all and what's even worse is this is not even kickstarter this is this is their own specific company so it's not like they're going to have to drop like 10% or 20% or whatever Kickstarter or one of the other crowdforming platforms doing, but Hasbro plus pulse Hasbro pulse, which is also again, a stupid name for a company. I'm sorry. Like another kickstarting platform where they're getting all the monies. $2 million is a lot to ask for non IP, non painted game that was better back in the day because they were painted. They were IP based. And again, they were relatively cheap even for the time. Mm-hmm. And this is just this is just really painful because I think that through Kickstarter, and I think we have to say it's because of Kickstarter's tremendous success and all the generosity and the nostalgia from board gamers that we've thrown so much money into this industry because we love it so much, they've taken for granted. And this might actually be the breaking point. Maybe there is a line here. You know, we always talk about like, 
oh, Feld's coming out with these games and they're like a hundred some odd dollars each. And there's like, they're relatively generic or, you know, Simon's coming out with another miniature game and there's going to be like, you know, 20 miniatures for like $500. No one's ever going to buy it. They'll, they'll buy it. You know, Frosthaven's coming out. Gloomhaven, most people haven't even finished yet. No one's going to buy that. Nope, they'll buy that too. <laughs> so maybe this is the line. Maybe we finally reached it, Anthony. Is this the line? Is this it? Did we see it? Is it here? Is it here? I, is it here? You know what? If you bake a bad enough campaign <laughs> and ask for enough money, you'll find the line. Like, it's, you know, and it doesn't help that they launched this in the middle of, like, financial rethinking <laughs> on the part of, like, all consumers being like, ah, maybe I don't need all this stuff that doesn't actually do anything and sits on my shelf and doesn't get played sure um yeah it's a tough it's a tough sell i don't know what they're doing this is terrible (laughs) yeah and again we've we've talked about that before right it's it's did seem like board games were recession proof right during the pandemic during the economic downturn during like businesses closing left and right and frosthaven still made all of its money even Marvel Zombicide, which again seemed like it was going to be crazy, it again made what, what it was like eight million dollars, and then they mm-hmm. had a shipping issue, and people still paid it. So this is kind of crazy. And again, it's it's a lesser product. And I have to think about you know Restoration Games, where they bring out these wonderful nostalgic projects and games when I was a kid, and I'm like, I'm so glad that they brought these out. And I think they've done kind of okay, but I, I I really feel like they have not performed at the level necessarily that everyone thought they would. Like Fireball Island, I think, was more right. or less kind of a bust, right? You can find a copy at most like big box stores for like five, ten bucks, you know, in some cases, like they're just kind of getting rid of them. So this might just be part of that, right? Like, again, the crowdfunding situation makes a lot of sense because if you don't know if it will sell all these copies, make people buy it in advance, sometimes years in advance, mm-hmm. and then you won't have to worry about, you know, throwing out product. So makes a lot of sense. But again, they they didn't they didn't allow themselves to enjoy the connection to the community who does love this game so much so they could help support it properly. And again, like you mentioned earlier, Anthony, they didn't give them tiers, like $250 plus shipping. And again, remember, this is a game of just plastic. Like the tactics here right. are rather thin. This is a this is a heavy shipping container. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It, it's a tough thing. Like, and I know every, people keep buying stuff that's like this. They keep spending a lot of money on the plastic. They keep investing mm-hmm. heavily in CMON or whatever. And occasionally a company just misunderstands why people do that. Sure. Right. There's the IPs. There's the manipulative tactics of a Kickstarter campaign with its, you know, unrealistically low funding levels. Like, mm. oh, we only need $30,000 to fund this game. I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't. If you got 32000 you would cancel this. There's no yes. way you would let that go through. Yeah. It's artificial because it makes people think that they're in on something. Back in uh, 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And, and like this very carefully planned stretch goal presentation system, like there's all these little manipulative yeah. things that go into a successful crowdfunding campaign yes. um, that it breaks down when you push it too far. Sure. People like can see through the veil. Like, mm-hmm. and this is one of those instances where the, they set the funding goal so high that mm-hmm. you're not getting any of that. 
right? No. They're like, none of the stretch goals they have listed are going to get hit because they're not going to get enough backers. Yeah. You don't get any IPs in there. There's no extra bonuses. It's just like, do you want a big pile of plastic? And a lot of people are like, I guess not. And then they're not, <laughs> they're not going to fund it. Um, and that's, that's when crowdfunding breaks, I think, is when people mm. can see through all of the manipulative nonsense. Um, you know, we deal with this a lot because we podcast about it every week. So I think we've seen through it. I, I would say, I would like to say earlier, but you know, relatively recently we've kind of seen through the veil, mm-hmm. but um, I'm hopefully other people start to see through it too. Cause I'm, I'm kind of tired of this. And again, you know, you mentioned that and it, it's true, but it's also part of the fun, right? Like the, like, you know, you know that you, you have to suspend your disbelief, right? Like, yeah. I'm a backer, I'm a contributor, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm helping support this campaign, I'm, I'm a member of this community that's going to develop this game, and my voice has, you know, some impact. And that's true on a very small percentage on the companies and very small situations. But this has been very, you know, this, this has not allowed us to do that. I think, as you mentioned, like, I can't, I can't feel okay with this campaign. It's, it's so blunt and it's so generic and it's so uninspired that it's a shame because there is so much wonderful gameplay and inspiration in this product. And there's so many wondrous fans with this. And I think there would be so many people willing. And again, like you said, this is, was like $850,000, $900,000 already put into this. And again, so we talked about this a lot. The biggest problem that I find with Kickstarter and a lot of these crowdfunding sites is like, again, I haven't played the game and I'm putting money in for like one to two years. Sometimes I just want to buy the base game, come back with a second campaign for the expansions and everything else. I think it was freedom five where I was like, I, I love greater than games. I love the, uh, the wonderful defenders of the realm, you know, mechanic. I love Sentinels of the multiverse. And then as the campaign went on, it was like 150, 250, $400. And I was just like, I can't guys like you, you found a way to push me out of this campaign. And it's like, if you don't back it now, you're not getting all the stuff. I'm like, but can I just play the game? Can you make it 125, 150? Like, do I have, does it have to be $400 now? So this just felt like that too. It just, it just felt like too much. And again, I've never, I don't even think I've ever even played HeroScape. Honestly, maybe I did when I was a kid. I might have backed this again because I heard such great things about it, but at two hundred and fifty dollars, it's just too far. Like if this was if this was a buck twenty-five, maybe, you know, again with the unpainted miniatures, I think what was really very, you know, how would you say it? Like the hallmark of this game was the painted miniatures and the IPs. And it doesn't have right. painted miniatures and it doesn't have IPs. That, I mean, that's we, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Give me, they just get one IP to launch with, just one. Yeah, they they did not. And again, this this is just it's such a weird situation because, like you said, they don't understand what the game is about, right? Like when their other campaign that they had, it was about having that kind of board game furniture in a game. So when you have that dungeon crawl situation, it's like, oh, cool! I remember that the, the furniture was such so so cool back in the day, and like. This one should have painted miniatures or there's so many IPs out there. Throw an IP in there or even throw an IP as as an expansion pack, as a possibility, as an add-on. Like show us that you're going to support this in the future. Because again, that was also HeroScape. HeroScape was all about all of the other expansion IPs that you could play into the game. This has none of that. 
this just has one big box of generic colored components. Right. So, yeah. Like, learn from Simon. Simon's old. I mean, Zombicide's an okay game, but really where it shines is, like, you can have almost endless numbers of legally distinct IP characters or actual IP characters. Yeah. And that's the thing. Hasbro has the IPs. So many IPs. Like, all yeah. IPs. <laughs> like, I, I understand there's licensing, but that's after you've produced it. So if you're going to sell, like get, get all your IPs in there, get the transformers, get Marvel, get GI Joe, star Wars, dragons, all that stuff, get it in there. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly, again, it's one of those situations where whatever they were thinking financially versus, you know, whatever the cost benefit analysis was, as far as putting this all together, I think they made a terrible mistake. I think if they would have released this with an IP, I might have, like, if they would have made this $300, but it came with, like you said, Transformers, or it came with Dungeons and Dragons, or it came with some other kind of IP, that might have that might have made it easier to swallow. Yeah. Or if they did the generic IP, but they were all painted. Like, there's nothing special about this campaign this day and age. And I think that's the problem with that Restoration Games has had. I mean, I think Dark Tower went relatively okay because they brought in big, big board game designers. But there's nothing, again, there's nothing unique that's connected to the past, but there's nothing special now. I can get any number of tactical miniature games at any board game store right now that's not $250, right? It's not an exclusive IP and it's not painted miniatures. So why am I buying this versus something else? Sure. Again, a lot of the mechanics are out of date. So not that they're bad, but they're simplistic. It's not, it's not, I mean, tactical, tactical miniature games are just like, they fall out of the sky every day, you know, and the miniatures are much better. The one, the one, the Kickstarter, like all those oh, games, yeah, for sure. Tainted veil and all those other stuff. Just like, geez, man, <laughs> they're like yeah. works of art. And they're like, Hey, generic dwarf. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Does not play here, bro. Does not play here. So well, thank you. And honestly, I really, I feel terrible because again, like I I said at the beginning, this was a grail game for so many people and so many people missed out on purchasing this back in the day. And I just feel bad for whatever number, hundreds of people who've, you know, put money in on this. I mean, they'll get their money back, but I got to feel terrible for all those people, all those gamers out there who thought they were getting this game. I mean, yeah. take, a, take a million and call it a day. <laughs> like, call it a win. <laughs> yeah, you're close. Let it go. Jeez. Come back later. Do another campaign. Buy an IP, man. Like like you said, they have them in their back pocket. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This makes no sense. You know, jeez, uh, that's the worst, guys. So, pretty sad. Hope I really hope that, you know, Hasbro pulls their self together. Again, Hasbro, you make some of the best products ever. Make it just a million throw in some expansion pack or instead of 250 make it 125 and give us half the content we'll buy the other half later yeah but you you gotta you know look like you said anthony like we could see through the veil like you gotta you gotta give us something like we, you have to have an entry point here <laughs> you can't yeah. <laughs> you can't swallow the hook you can't swallow the hook hole you know like gotta do something for us here <laughs> Well, that's all the fun that's happening with Hasbro. But Anthony, obviously our listeners out there are having much more fun with us, I hope. <laughs> What's going on with our question of the week? Yeah, so um, 
last week we talked about Marvel Snap. We had our our little battle, uh, and we asked everybody to tell us who the winners would be of these three face-offs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just a quick reminder: if you didn't listen, Battle Location One on reveal, the game with the greatest table presence. I said Cthulhu Wars. Chris, you said Everdell, and unanimously, the listeners agreed that it's Everdell. Everdell. Yeah, it, it I win location one. That I picked a game that nobody has played. So, <laughs> well, you you did have the giant Cthulhu. I did, I did. Yeah, but be honest. If if you're going to look into the eyes of a cosmic horror, right, the cute little bunny eyes. That's definitely the way you're going to be going. You know that, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah all those mm-hmm. little beoples. It's good. Oh, they're so yeah, adorable. All right, battle location two ongoing. The game that always gets table time, no matter the group. We had seven wonders versus Azul. Hmm. And Seven Wonders Ooh. was the selection in this case. Although some people did pick Azul. It was not unanimous. Okay. <laughs> as in the first I don't one. feel bad about it. I'm a big Seven Wonders fan. Don't feel bad. Yeah, no, no. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Um, and then Battle Location 3, Destroy, Discard. The killer game that destroyed made you discard other games. I chose Marvel Champions. You chose Underwater Cities. Similar to Seven Wonders, not unanimous, but Underwater Cities was. So... <laughs> You get your two cubes. Nice. Snapped. Ah. <laughs> I knew I should have snapped. <laughs> yeah. You probably should have when I said Cthulhu Wars. You're like, oh, I got this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun. So thank you to everybody who responded to that and voted in our poll. Um, you know, Marvel Snap is still fun. I've played it a lot less in the last week than I did the previous <laughs> week. Uh, probably for all the reasons we talked about. It's, it's just a grind now, but it's still mm-hmm. a fun game. So I still play yeah. it while I'm on the bus. Yeah, I'm I'm up to date. I've done all the things that you can do. I found that the locations that they pop up, the new location, like every week or whatever number of days that they put the new locations out, it's, it really, it's really a game changer as far as the decks are concerned. Right. So I think currently the cloning factory or something is there. So I'm right. seeing a lot of zoo decks. So it's like a lot of one cost cards. And then, you know, if you don't have the cards to make that meta, or if you don't have like a Killmonger, I think kills all the one level cards. Right. It's just like, oh, this is a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've still won some of the games. I've switched up. I've used Scarlet Witch to switch up that location. Or I think Shang-Chi, I've used like, some people use Sunspot, which when when you use Sunspot, he's like a one cost. But every, I don't know, what, what is it called? Energy that you don't use, kind of like he, all of the sun Sunspots like energize up. So right. the cloning factory, you see like three or four Sunspots. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You're at level nine. Excellent. I'm going to drop my, <laughs> my, my one card here and destroy all your level nines. I'm like, that was satisfying. But yeah, <laughs> the meta, the metas really go along with that room locate that location battle location spot so when you come in see what the battle location is and pick the appropriate deck or build the appropriate deck for that yeah yeah no it's fun i I like that because it does switch up the meta more often Mm -hmm. like in a game like hearthstone the meta changed when there was a new set which was every three months um and honestly it's the same of any ccg like magic has a new set every three months or so but when they drop a new location that's heavily in rotation every week, then the meta changes every week, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You get to make new decks more often. I'm still getting, I'm still really tired with like upgrading my cards. Yeah. I don't like that. It's like, just like, Hey, you can upgrade a car. I'm like, which of the 25, 30 cards in my deck can I upgrade? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't. 
Like, oh, now it's got a slightly different border. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I got my first like rainbow shiny one. I'm like, Ooh, I got one too. <laughs> cool. That's cool. I thought when I reached the top level, it would do something even cooler, like dance around. But no, just kind of shiny. What's funny is when you get the, I guess, the shiny background thing, and then it, it produces a new card, and then you have to upgrade that like as a basic card again. And oh, I'm my just gosh, like, yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the top. I, I'm done. I don't want to keep upgrading. <laughs> I know. I saw multiple pieces of advice on this game being like, don't use all your upgrades because those boosts are only good for that character. And you might get a, a variant of that card that you would rather upgrade. I'm like, well, that's a stupid mechanic. It's like a very stupid all. mechanic. Mm-hmm. I should be able to like un-upgrade a card and then reinvest it in another card. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is a better some... variant. Just move it over. Yeah. And there's obviously the situation where by using other cards that you don't normally use you get you get the orbs or whatever the power thing is to kind of upgrade those specific cards if you don't use them then you can't upgrade them but also yeah. why do you care because you're not using them so it's, right. it's, but also if you don't upgrade them then you can't move up and get new cards and new bonuses so you have to so i i don't understand that mechanic where upgrading the card is I mean, it's essential because if you don't do that, you can't move up that chain and get all the extra stuff, especially new cards. So I have to do that. I don't like doing that. Yeah. Just like, mm, I liked it weird. at first because mm-hmm. of the loop. But yeah, now, you know, 20 hours in, it's like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> There's supposed to be new things coming. They just released a whole patch of just upgrades and supposedly you'll be able to play friends in the future. That'll be not cool. just strangers. So that'll be cool. So um currently i'm one up on anthony so <laughs> snap 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 yeah i'll do it so. again and I'll, I'll take it more seriously i won't pick cthulhu wars again <laughs> cthulhu wars is not bad right because if you have that giant cthulhu thing yeah, yeah. on the table that is that is like that is an impressive piece it's just yeah, yeah it's good but everdell's the winner yeah that was a good one yeah especially with the collector the collector's box which just recently came out so you know, the artwork and the pieces are very good on that. So excellent. All right. Well, I thank you all for entering. That's awesome. But Anthony, that's not the end of the awesomeness. Tell them about more awesomeness. Not at all. No, we have our annual listeners top 20 games poll. Yes. Uh, So if you've not participated in this before, what it is, is we have an episode every year right around the milestone. So this year it's 400. So we're going to do this right before 400 where we want to share our listeners top 20 games of all time. And so we do this by consolidating a whole bunch of people's top 10 lists and determining which games rise to the top. Uh, To do that, we need you to fill out our form, which is available on the Facebook page. So if you go there, it is pinned to the top. It'll say, want to win a board game? Because we always give away games when we do this poll. So Mm -hmm. all we need is your top 10. If you want to enter the contest, you can add your name and email address. That part is optional. Some people like to submit it anonymously, and that's fine. Um, But if you submit that, if you give us your information, we will pick someone randomly who has submitted to the poll when it's all done. And and you will win one of the games that is in the final top 20. So um, of all the games on that top 20, any that are in print and capable of being purchased, you can choose from those. And we will mail it out to you pretty much right away. So if you want to win a free game, please, please help us fill out this poll. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. I always enjoy going through it and kind of making it work and doing the math and building it. And we're going to be doing that next week on next week's episode. So don't miss your opportunity to um, help us 
make our top 20 for the listeners for 2022 and potentially win a game. Yeah, it really is one of the best episodes of the year for us because we spend the whole year talking about the games that we love, our top 10s. And as Anthony mentioned, we'll hit our episode 400. So once again, it will be our top 100 board games of all time. And it's not a top 10. It's not a year without your interaction. And we really love to hear about all the games that you're talking about because, again, you know, we share that love. So hit us up. Let us know about those great games so we can talk more about them. So. Yeah. Thank you so much for entering. Please win board games. Please tell people, get your list up. It doesn't have to be a crazy formalized list. I heard some people like, I don't have a top 10. I have a top seven. Do the best you can. We just want to know what your best games are. Because again, we like to promote them. The more we promote board games out there to the community, the more people that want to come to the table. And especially since we're promoting the games that you love, the more people want to come to your table and get those games to the table. All right, so that's everything that's going on with all of our friends out there. Anthony, uh, we talked about the crowdfunding. It, it has come upon us yet again. Acquisition disorders, my friend. What do you have for us this week? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Crowdfunding is a problem. We shouldn't do that. All right, my acquisition disorder is late aspire to board game. <laughs> well, like, um, they, like they always say, right? <laughs> yeah. Do what we say, not what we do, right? Yeah, please, please do what we say, not what we do. Um. So speaking of games that have reached the milestone that Hasbro is trying to reach and could not. Ooh, burn. Hasbro burn. Yeah. (laughs) We weren't speaking of that, but I find it funny. Uh, So Slay the Spire, the board game, is at $2.4 million already as 17,000 backers on Kickstarter. And it is, by all accounts, based on the previews that I've watched and looking at the, the, the various, you know, lists of components and everything that are up on Kickstarter, it really is, like, Slay the Spire, the video game, translated into a board game. Um, It is, you know, okay, backing up. Slay the Spire, the video game, if you haven't played it. It's a roguelike deck building game. Roguelike meaning, of course, that every time you start, you're starting from scratch with some things that you've developed over the course of the game. Like you save some experience, you build up certain elements. There are four different characters that you can choose from. You have a certain amount of health, gold. There's relics you can pick up throughout the game. These things are all make your your play a little more asymmetrical. Um, as you play through the game, you'll go up this spire, and you're trying to defeat these various, you know, some of them are just monsters, some are bosses, whatever it might be. You find various treasures. They upgrade cards. You can duplicate other cards. You can remove certain cards from your deck. So it's a deck-building game, right? We all know that. We're in a board game podcast, but they turn it into a video game. Um, this is one of the first ones, I think, that really pulled it off successfully. And now there's a whole bunch of video games using deck building mechanics. Now, because capitalism, we're getting the board game version of the video game that's based on board <laughs> games. Slay the Spire, the board game. Uh, Say that three times fast. Yeah, I know. And honestly, like, without even watching the videos, I went through the Kickstarter. I'm like, this just looks like they took the board game and turned it into, or took, took the video game and turned it into a board game, right? Using the same artwork. They have the spire, the act boards right there, where you can kind of go up these different branching paths. Um, you get the miniatures for the different characters. It can be the ironclad or the silent or the defect or the watcher, um, the card artwork, same stuff as from the video game. Like, and mechanically it's, fairly similar because the video game is using board game style mechanics. Now, obviously they have to flatten a lot of it because 
in a video game, you get the benefit of like being able to do a lot of math on the fly. Like the player doesn't have to do the math and keep track of everything. And so if you took all that tracking and dumped it into a board game, it would be a very lame game. Mm. All those years of people asking for a Hearthstone card game, like that game would be terrible because there's so much RNG and moving pieces, mm. and random dice. Like there, you'd have counters and dice and all sorts of stuff everywhere. It'd be no fun. Uh, <laughs> so it looks like they flattened a lot of that out to make it as accessible as possible. Is that going to be good? I don't know. <laughs> like it's hard to tell, um, but it looks pretty. You know, like you're getting 730 cards wow. because you have 80 plus cards for each of the four characters as their mm-hmm. starting decks plus. 50 relics, a bunch of potions, boss relics, encounter cards, summon cards, like all these things that kind of go in to upgrade everything. 100 plus tokens. The cards can be flipped and give you upgrades. So there are 400 plus art sleeves as well because you have to be able to put the cards in a sleeve where you can see which side is active. You can have a two-sided card. Um, It is a one to four player game. I'm interested to see how that works competitively because it's a board game. As a video game, you play it by yourself and it's very mm-hmm. much a normal experience. Uh, and then obviously they have a bunch of upgrades where you can get, you know, in the collector's pledge, you get player mats, you get a bigger box, you get metal coins, you get the all in pledge where you get a table mat, but also you can get a box with 360 cards that have the beta <laughs> artwork. <laughs> From the video game beta. So all the people who played the beta, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, it has a lot of backers. The all-in pledge, 4,400 people apparently played that beta and want that artwork. But it's interesting. I'm I'm really excited it exists. We texted about this when it went up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very cool. But the base pledge to get into the game is a hundred bucks plus mm. shipping, right? That's just the game with the claw pack and the stretch goals, which again is a lot of content. It's hundreds of cards, hundreds of cards and sleeves. Mm-hmm. But if you're just taking the board game or taking the video game and converting it to a board game, do I need that? Could I just play the video game, which I've already mm. put 75 hours into and have, enjoy quite a bit like what is the board game ad that the video game doesn't and i can't answer that question because i've not played this personally (laughs) but as a previewer i can look at it and be like i don't know if i want to back this for that reason alone because it's so much money and it really does look like they tried to keep it as close as possible which begs the question who is it for yeah i think that's that's really the question here and i think they again not to Again, bring back Hasbro for another beating a little bit. (laughs) But I I think they did the right thing here. If you've played the video game and you like the video game for itself, what it exactly is, as you mentioned, you know, the the competitive version notwithstanding, this is what you want. So I looked at this and I was like, I really like this game. I've put a lot of hours into it. I've beat it multiple times, but somehow I keep falling asleep. But nonetheless, I, I like if I like the video game that much, then I would want that video game in a board game format. As you mentioned, since it was basically a board game that was made into a video game. So they ha- it, it does seem like they went through the effort to do that in a meaningful way 
So since everything's included as far as an experience is concerned that I would have with the video game, but be a board game version of it, I'm willing to pay the crazy amounts of money that they're asking for because it's keeping with not just the spirit, which is essential, but also every aspect of it, the gameplay, the look. I mean, there's just, I'm looking at this, the crowdfunding site and I'm just like, everything is here. I don't see anything that's missing. Everything is just, it's a one-to-one kind of connection here. So sure, I'm willing to, again, as you said, Anthony, I'm, I could see the veil, but I don't care, right? Because yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, you know, I'm still on board with that. So I can completely understand and, and un, you know, appreciate the fact that people are backing this at the utmost level. Now, personally, for me, as much as I like the game, I'm kind of burnt out on it. I kind of feel like I've done everything that I could as far as the game's concerned. And there is it doesn't have that kind of hook for me. So I won't be backing this, but I can appreciate anyone who does because I think anyone who does love the video game, this is a great campaign. This is a great game. This has everything they could ever ask for or want. And even though the price is high, I think you're getting everything that you expect. And I think, again, that's not what Hasbro was doing. So... Yeah, if this was for me, I'd be excited, but it's not. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm at with this. Like, I like Slay the Spire, but I think, mm-hmm. and I'm not even fully burned out on it. I just feel like there's other deck building video games that have come out since, like Monster Train and a couple others, where I'm like, yeah. I like that better. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's not to say the board game wouldn't be fun. I just, I don't know that I want to go back to that. But I'm with you. I think it's cool. Yeah, and I, I do like Monster Train better too, but. Again, it's it's interesting. Like you, you mentioned Hearthstone earlier. It's interesting to – I'm really interested to see when this game gets to the table and just like reading through the rule book and see how they were able to convert all of those calculations that you were doing in the board game – I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the actual video game into a board game format. And is it still manageable? I mean they could completely drop the ball on this and then when you actually get to the table, it's just like I can't do this. Right. There's just too much downtime between turns. Right. So it's possible. It's 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 hopeful. It's again, like you said, maybe if this works, this is a mechanic or framework that they can use for other video games. Like you said, Hearthstone is a little problematic, but maybe they can find something manageable. Maybe at some point, a Marvel Snap will actually get a card game version of it at the table. I don't know, but again, they're doing it. So I don't know. Fingers crossed. Hope hope it's the the best game ever out there for everybody. All right, well, a game that I'm taking a look at and have been watching for quite some time, the, the company itself, uh, Fantasia Games, have, has done an excellent job kind of promoting this. This is Unconscious Mind. Through dreams, Freud's followers delve into the client's unconscious mind. Now, by the time you hear this episode, I think this coming Tuesday, it'll be up on Kickstarter. Again, I'm not really sure why they're kickstarting this game, but they are, so... <laughs> Uh, you have a bunch of designers here, only one that really has solid kind of board game experience, Johnny Pack. But the other designers are here too. I'm not sure what their level of you know contribution is here. But this game is all about Freud and in particular about providing psychoanalysis to Freud's clients and all of his colleagues doing the same thing using the psychoanalysis model for support. And if you don't know about Freud, Freud was a neurologist who became known as the father of psychoanalysis and psychology in some respects. 
Uh, this also happens to be my background and my field in psychology, not psychoanalysis so much, but counseling and psychology is just generally Freud for all his bad stuff. He was also a genius in a lot of other stuff. So I'm really interested in this game. And in particular, it has a lot of really smart mechanics here. Primarily what you're doing is you are, and the way they kind of define it, and I haven't read the, the official rule book yet, but at least what their website is showing is it's about healing the clients. So basically it's a worker placement game. And instead of actual workers, you have these little talk bubbles because it's talk therapy and you're utilizing these to get um, resources in some respects because you are trying to tackle the unconscious desires and dreams that your clients are having with this wondrous, beautiful artwork and this really interesting overlay system where I guess there's a clear plastic overlay on the cards that almost has this kind of like Rorschach kind of ink block look on it. And your job is to get those particular resources, again, based on whatever the game is, get those resources in order to complete the contract. So again, it's contract completion from a mechanical standpoint, but what's really smart about it, it's thematic, right? So each of your clients has all of these different problems or issues that you're trying to heal. They have all these dreams that you're trying to interpret to help them kind of uncover the source of their symptoms. And throughout the game, you are utilizing the worker placement aspects to get these, all of these kind of thoughts and dreams kind of regulated to the point of healing your client. And then there's a lot of other ways that, again, a lot of the basic kind of contract completion, uh, there's a lot of like tableau building as far as once you heal your clients, you're getting some bonuses throughout the game. There's a little rondelle action where you actually have Freud in your, in your, and your, you know, your workers kind of going around to get resources, to have conversations. This is a beautiful looking game. It seems to have, at least until I can see the actual campaign, it seems to have the mechanics down. Very thematic, very interesting, very engaging, unconscious mind. It will be on Kickstarter this coming Tuesday. Absolutely, definitely check it out. It looks cool. I don't yeah. have any of the background to, to speak to anything else, but it, like just as a game, it looks interesting. Yeah. I think it puts together a lot of what I was, again, when I looked at this, I was like, ooh, shiny, beautiful, gorgeous artwork and interesting kind of mechanics at the table. This is fun, right? This is an actual game. This is not just, hey, you know, remember Freud? He did things. Let's let's actually just throw some kind of pace it on theme. It actually looks like it's actually real thematic gameplay. And that's what I'm pretty much impressed with here. It's thematic. And it seems to stay true to that psychoanalytic kind of approach. So yeah, it'll be up on Kickstarter. I have no idea of the cost of it, but I'm going to read through the rule book. I'll check in with you all later, but it's probably going to be an instant back for me. Very cool. All right, everyone. That's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's get on to the games that hit the table and let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up, even if they're on Hasbro Plus, or if those games are a play and you should sit down and play them like Hasbro should have done with HeroScape with a more manageable format. If those games are a dodge, because let's be honest, they're probably too expensive, like HeroScape, or if those games are the dreaded burn, but maybe you shouldn't burn it because it's a lot of plastic and that would be bad for the environment. But nonetheless, they're a discard, let's put it that way, and you're not going to back it. So, Anthony, I was able to get a Kickstarter to the table, which is funny because I had a little kick amnesia here because... Yeah. I was like, oh, cool, a box. It sounds like a board game. I opened the box. It is a board game. When the heck did I back this? Because I don't remember backing this game. 
And I got it. It's cool. It's Verdant. Uh, Verdant is a game about, you know, being a houseplant enthusiast. So basically, I know it sounds very exciting. Basically, it's about all the different varieties of houseplants that you can have in your home and how you're able to connect those with the different rooms in your home to nourish those plants and also to be able to build out this kind of really interesting five by three uh, grid of plants slash rooms and how they kind of score points off each other. And that's primarily it as far as the thematic gameplay is concerned, which is really funny because I look through the rule book and I'm like, Verdant, what, why, you know, like, is this like families versus families? Is this greenhouses versus greenhouses? Is this some sort of competition? Is this some sort of like trying to be the best of all? It's like, nope, you like house plants. Get some house plants, <laughs> put them in some rooms, give them some light. And then you get this verdancy, which is like these little leaf tokens, which basically means that you gave the plant the appropriate lighting. Okay, cool. Which is awesome because if you've ever had a house plant, you know that they're sometimes a little problematic to deal with because you don't have the right lighting or the right water or anything else. But the gameplay itself is pretty straightforward. And basically what you're doing in the game is you're selecting from a marketplace kind of. You have these two rows, one row is of the house plants, one row is of the rooms, and then you have in between them, you have a row of tokens. Now, what you're going to do at the start of the game is you're going to be given a houseplant, you're going to give, be given a room, you're going to put them together, hopefully in the right way. And on each room, the card has four different symbols for the amount of light that comes in from that room, which is very smart and cool. If you line it up properly with the plant that requires either full sun, half sun, or full shade, or whatever it might be, you're going to put a verdancy. You're going to put a little token on it. And what you're trying to do is get enough of those verdancy tokens on it so that you're able to meet the condition of that particular plant and then score the points at the end of the game. The rooms are interesting because the rooms are also color-coded just like the plants, and they score points off the same plants that match that particular room. So primarily, it's a, it's a straight standard card. They have the four access orthogonally. So you're going to score points off, let's say, if the room is yellow, that kind of yellow plant up, down, left, right, below, you'll score a point each for based on that room. But if you happen to get one of the different tokens that match that room color, sometimes it's pets, sometimes it's furniture in that particular room, then that room scores double the point. So now you're scoring two points off every house plant that matches that particular room. So that's pretty much it. Pick the either pick the plant in the token or pick the token in the room, and then everyone takes their turn. And based on that five by three grid, you're scoring more points. At the end of the game, you count up the points for the plants because once you meet that particular condition of the plant, you add a pot, which will score some additional points. You score points for the rooms again based on that kind of grid system, whether it's one point or two point. And then there's a couple of additional little things like if you have one of each room. Or if you have, you know, multiple different types of tokens in the different rooms, you're going to score additional points. If you have one of each plant, that's going to score additional points. So that's awesome. And then there's also goals for the end of the game. So there's goals for the rooms, there's goals for the plants, there's just goals for your general kind of setup. And those are very random, right? So you might have a goal that has like one of each plant scores you a point or only one type of plant scores you a point. So 
again, as far as endgame you know, points are concerned, you've seen that all before. This game plays with you know one to four players. It plays as a solo. I played it as a solo. I played it with other people. It's primarily a solo game. This is just a solitaire game. It's a puzzle game. You're trying to score the most points possible. The cards that come out in the market are really dependent. You know, like, oh, did I get the right plant? I have to wait for a certain plant to come up. I have to wait for a certain room to come up. But throughout the game, when people don't select a particular room or plant, it gets a green thumbs up. Those tokens, eventually, if you get two of them, they become wild and they give you other options to either clear the market in some cases or you're able to like water the plants particularly. So there's some benefits throughout the game. It's a fun little puzzle game. I don't necessarily recommend it for a group. I mean, you can certainly play it as a group. There's really nothing different versus playing it solo other than it's a little bit annoying when people take the cards that you want. But there's no real hate drafting in this game because you are building a particular tableau and taking a card that someone wants is really going to mess your day. And since those thumbs up cards uh, tokens are so plentiful throughout the game, you do have a lot of options to complete your plants. You do have a lot of options to clear different markets up. And with those end game bonuses, you do have a lot of options to score points. Uh, This is a fun game. It almost reminds me of Wingspan as far as just the variety of plants, the little tokens. Uh, the artwork is by Beth Sobel, who's done so many wonderful games, Dixit, amongst many others. This is also in the AEG's family of like uh, Calico and Cascadia. So it's that same small box kind of artwork and gameplay. This is great for a family. This is great for gateway gamers. There's nothing really you can do wrong other than not be as efficient as possible. You're going to score points one way or the other. It's all open information. This game gets a play for me. I bought it. it. I remember, I'm like, why did I buy it? I looked online. It was a relatively low price point. Uh, with the Kickstarter, came with a little expansion pack, which are non-potted plants. Uh, one of the interesting plants it comes with, it comes with a chia seed plant. <laughs> so you actually have that little clay structure with the chia seeds. So that's kind of cute. And again, That little expansion pack doesn't make or break the game. It just adds more plants and non-potted plants just kind of score, but they score like two points. So you can't make points off them, but sometimes they're really helpful in order to make the collections that you need. So Verdant gets a strong play for me. I think this is a good game playing solo. It's okay game for a family or just gamers at the table, but it's definitely more of a puzzle game than anything else. Sounds like a good game for me. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely in that family, as I mentioned. Yeah, I wish I had backed this. I I like I went back when you showed me that you got yours, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I must have backed this because I love Cascadia. But they must have run the campaign before I got a chance to play Cascadia mm. because I've backed other games since then from Flat Out, but I missed this one. Um, and I love that little puzzle element of it, like yeah. solo games with the puzzle. Like I have Cascadia, Calico, both fantastic games um so i will have to track this down once it's fully available for the rest of us all right so that's everything in that's hitting our table this week now on to our feature review so our feature review this week is i like to think of it as a fun feature because again you're going to have a lot of family at the table a lot of friends at the table 
And as much as you're thankful for having all those people at the table, sometimes you're not so thankful. Sometimes you want to get a little bit under skin. You want to kind of push back a little bit. So we have our top 10 no Thanksgiving games. We're not giving you any thanks. We're just, we're hitting you hard. We're hitting you throughout. And again, a little bit of an honorable mention to No Thanks, the card game that's all about picking up cards and your place tokens down to like say, no thanks, I don't want that card. But we really wanted to have something a little more aggressive. So this top 10 of No Thanks given card games and, you know, board games, so to speak, are Take That Games. And if you don't know about Take That Games, they're basically board games and card games where you're typically playing cards or taking actions that's going to directly attack other players at the table, either direct toward a particular opponent or multiple people. I think, Anthony, you mentioned this earlier. It seems like we wouldn't be into those games because we're generally like Euro Amerithrash gamers, but this is a mechanic that we love to get to the table. And again, this is a really good time to get it to the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you do it right, it's a lot of fun. The only time it's no fun is when it's a game that doesn't generally rely on a take that mechanic and they throw them in there. Oh, right? this is the worst. <laughs> yeah, like a Euro game. Like Lorenzo Mil- Il Magnifico is the one I always go to because sure. that was a, it's a hard game that is very tight and you can take stuff from other people by buying it first. But then in one of the expansions, they're like, and now there's take that card. You're like, no, <laughs> no, you can't throw that in there. That yeah. makes the game terrible. Yeah. So... But if it's just to take that mechanic or like it's built around that, yes. fantastic. Lots of fun. Yeah. So we go we go a little bit light into like heavy, heavy kind of take that. And again, these none of these games are just like artificially thrown on. And you know what games those are. So Anthony, why don't you start us with, with our number 10? Yeah. First up on the list here is Potion Explosion. Uh, this has become a family favorite in my house because... I don't know. My kids love marbles. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I was going to say, your kids love portions? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, Explosions? Yeah, they love it. Uh, basic mechanic here, you're taking marbles out of the dispenser based on kind of a Candy Crush style mechanic where you're mm-hmm. trying to get them to crash into each other. And then you place them on your potions. You complete your potions. You flip your potions over. And then you can use those potions to take special actions. There are several potions that let you steal stuff from other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So not only can you hate draft the marbles <laughs> like oh you need like four black marbles to finish your potions well if i take this i take the four black marbles out of the dispenser and now you literally cannot finish your potions that's right cool i'm gonna do that and then <laughs> and then i'm gonna flip this potion that steals all the stuff from your reserve yes so now you can't finish that other potion mm-hmm. so yay me i didn't get anything done but no you're not getting anything done um and so watching an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old do this to each other, it's I wouldn't say it's fun because when your children argue, it's not fun, but it is kind of funny. Uh, and it's just a, it's a really good game in general. So um, the, the take that mechanics are just enough to elevate the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot and you can pick the potions that you want to have in that particular game. I know that they tell you to pick them random, but you can make this a very sharp game. And as you mentioned, like, it's not always just the, even the potions that attack other players' reserves, but it's the potions that just mess with the Candy Crush market right. where you can still get the color you want, but also pull out and hate draft all these other, you know, marbles. 
All right, our number nine is Lords of Waterdeep. This is the D&D-inspired worker placement game that's all about these, you know, very deceitful and mischievous lords that are undercover. And primarily, it's a worker placement game. So, of course, any general worker placement game, you can always crush someone's dreams by getting to the spot before they do. But that's not the primarily take that. The take that element that just is incredibly crushing and just so satisfying is when you get those mandatory quests to other players at the table. So these are just brutal because you're trying to put together the right contract completion. So you need the the right team together, certain color cubes throughout the game. And then someone throws you a mandatory quest, which is kind of important, but now it's requiring certain cube colors from you and you can't do anything else as far as contract completion until you complete that for a very tiny, tiny, tiny reward. And it just throws your whole day off. So those mandatory quests always going to be the most brutal part of Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those things, like, they really mess with people. They could completely upend the game for you. And it's mm-hmm. just part of it. Like, And you have them too, so you can throw them to other people. Oh, yeah. Like- those, those entry cards are easy to get and plentiful, especially with the expansion. All right, so uh, next one up on our list is Dominion. Dominion is the classic original deck building game. We talked about Slay the Spire. That game would not exist without Dominion. Mm-hmm. So this is a game in which you are collecting different cards from the, the market, adding them to your deck, cycling them through, trying to generate points, right? But there are ways that you can mess with other people as well, right? You have cards like the Saboteur, Conspirator, um, Dominion Intrigue, especially like as the big buck expansion to this game, added a lot of mechanics that really make it shadier and more options to mess with each other. Similar to uh, Potion Explosion, though, you can choose which cards make it into your game, right? So if you don't want to use the Torturer and the Masquerade and the Interrogator, like you don't have to have these cards in your game. But if you want to have a really mean game, you throw in the Swindler and, and all these other cards that act, act as attacks on your other players. Um, so you can kind of balance out the take that element however you would like. Uh, it's fun. It's quick. It's still the, the granddaddy of all deck building games. And it has a lot of take that opportunities with all the different expansions that have been out. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's another opportunity to build a Dominion game that has more take that. Yep. And I love that with the all the expansions, too, because it just really brings more of that kind of feature into deck building. And again, we haven't seen that traditionally in deck building done before. It's usually like, oh, I just built a lot of cards in my hand and I have this awesome deck. And like Dominion is like, not so fast. Based upon how we built everything, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> and again, it doesn't really hurt you because it's part of the strategy to play throughout the game. And I love that when it's built into the game. All right. So we talked about all of that kind of fun stuff. Let's talk about a easy card game that seems a lot easier on the surface, a lot nicer. Love Letter. Oh, it's so loving. It's such beautiful artwork. It's it's just this wonderful idea of getting this love letter to the princess. You know what? Not so fast. <laughs> so Love Letter is just really a two-card game system where you get these two cards in your hand and there are eight different types of cards in the deck. Some are taken out to start with. And primarily what you're trying to do is knock out the other players at the table 
And the way in which you do that is utilizing the card. So you're holding on to one card, you pick up a new card. These cards are hardcore. So the guard is all about trying to guess what card the other player has in the hand. If you do that, you take that and you get them out of the game. The priest, the number two card, is all about finding out what cards they have in the hand. The baron is all about matching cards up. So if you have a high number card versus their low number card, they're out again. The handmaiden is the nice card. The handmaiden will protect you from all that. Take that. The prince will knock out the other card that you have in the hand. The king will switch cards. The, the, <laughs> the countess is just sitting around for no particular reason. And of course, the princess is the highest of all cards, the number eight. But you can't do anything because everyone's trying to intercept the letter. So nice, lovely game to get to the table. And you say, hey, do you want to play the love letter? And they're like, oh, that sounds so sweet and wonderful. Yes, we're trying to get this love letter to the princess. And let's play. And then it's just vicious throughout the way. So quick, easy, fun to play, very cheap star point. And you primarily at this point, you get any number of IPs in this game. So love letter, Anthony, love letter. Love letter is a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Boss Monster, another classic. Uh, somehow still not as well known, but this game is fantastic. It is an 8-bit dungeon crawling uh, type of card game right? that came out in 2013. And in it, you and several other players will be building out these dungeons. And your hero will be running through the dungeon and trying to take out the boss. Uh, but you can interact with not only your own dungeon, trying to overcome the challenge fa- you're facing, but also everybody else's. So you can, you know, there's things like counter spells and uh, various attacks and traps and all sorts of different things you can do um, as, as a boss trying to amass the souls of these heroes that are running through the dungeons that you're building. And it, it, it just really depends on the type of boss you have and the types of heroes that are running and the types of things that your opponents are doing. Um, very clever, very fun. Good borderline party type of game, but just enough thinking to it. And with like the nine expansions that this game has, a lot of different unique things you can layer in to make it um, even more take that if you want, or more strategic if you want. Absolutely. And again, Boss Monster is built on all of those wonderful 8-bit games that we love to get to the table. And in particular, this was the kind of like the original granddaddy of it all. And you build a nice little dungeon and just slap, 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 slap. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's a nice dungeon you, that you have there. It'd be a shame if, if a room got frozen or destroyed or if there was a cave-in or something like that. So yeah, that happens a lot. And again, it's fun to see because you don't get that in a lot of those kind of like tableau builders. You don't get a lot of take that. So love to take that. It's fun. It's, it's a fun kind of take that. Speaking of fun take that, uh, the originator of the take that kind of card game board game, which is again based upon RPG tropes, is the munchkin, right? The character in a, a role-playing game or or some sort of dungeon crawl where they're all about getting the things that they want and stabbing you in the back, even though they're part of your party for some reason. So Munchkin is, again, Steve Jackson Games. It's all about putting together a character as you're you know, going along in the dungeon with other adventurers and you are slaying monsters throughout. But as it's going and as you're collecting treasure, your party and yourself don't want everyone else to get ahead and obviously, whoever gets to level 10 wins. So throughout the game, you are throwing 
things to stop other adventurers from being successful. You're creating more monsters that they have to fight. You're building those monsters up. You're stealing treasure. You're stealing any anything you can get your hands on. What's great about Munchkin is it has endless varieties. It has almost any IP you could possibly imagine. I guarantee you there's a version out there for you. And especially if it's the holiday season, there is an endless number of holiday-themed Munchkin sets or expansions that you can add in. I think I have the vast majority of the Christmas expansions, but there is every kind of holiday there. There's every kind of theme here. Munchkin Apocalypse is my favorite if I have to recommend one because it doesn't run into that problem where like the game goes on forever because it does have a separate win condition. But nonetheless, you want to mess with people, but you want to get family or gateway gamers to table, Munchkin's easy to play for everybody and has an endless number of take that cards. All right. Yeah. So uh, next up on the list, we have Disney Villainous, or just Villainous in general, because there's multiple Villainous now. Yeah. Yeah, We've got Marvel. We got Star Wars. Uh, The goal of this game is that you are taking control of one of the villains from a Disney movie, right? And the original game has six in it, but there are five expansions that add 15 more. There's more than 20 that you can choose from. Uh, And on your turn, you're going to move your character around to various different locations and take one of a number of different actions. You can get some allies, items, get some curses. But one of the more interesting actions you can take is choose another player, draw cards from their deck, and then play one of them onto their player board. So you can take up some of their action spaces on their location and mess with them in various ways. Um, there's other mechanics in here as well to kind of, you know, interrupt or mess with each other. Obviously, you're villains. You're, you're supposed to be messing with each other. That's the whole point of the game. Uh, and they really integrated that quite effectively into the mechanics. So it doesn't even make people as angry because you're like, well, you know, you're Ursula. So, of course, you're being a jerk. It's what you do, right? You're Scar. You know, you're Maleficent. You're supposed to be mean. <laughs> you can't get angry at people for being mean when they're supposed to be mean. Um, and it really works well integrating into the theme. Uh, and again, there's Marvel Villainous uh, came out last year, and then Star Wars Villainous just came out over the summer. So multiple versions of this, multiple expansions for each version of this. Uh, fantastic game. Yeah, I think what's really particularly interesting about that is that no one expects a Disney game to be built around Take That, and right. especially the villains. And they're like, oh, cool, a Disney game. Like, oh, no, you're playing the villains. Oh, no, you're just like slapping everyone down. And then what's funny about the game and what you have to kind of wrap your head around is that the heroes of these Disney movies, or again, as you mentioned, Anthony, all the different other IP properties here are the take that elements. Yeah. It's just like, hey, that's a hero. And he's slapping down the, uh, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I have a throwback for you. This is called Guillotine, and it's it's what it sounds like, right? So this is about the French Revolution and about guillotining, I guess if that's a thing, cutting off all the heads of all the nobles. So basically the game is lining out all these nobles, and you are trying to score the most points possible, and you're also trying to guillotine all the other players' characters because, again, you're trying to score all the points possible. You have a lot of take that elements as far as moving the cards adding other players' cards into play and lining up the characters to benefit you and cut the heads off of all of the nobles from your other players. It's a lot of fun. It's quick. It's interesting. It's a small box game. And it has like the literal element of take that because you're taking their head, so to speak. Ah, that's guilty. Yeah, that's a classic. Love that game. 
All right. Uh, next up, King of Tokyo and or New York and or soon to be Monster Island. <laughs> so. Well, that's that's a cooperative. So maybe maybe oh. not so much. Oh, yeah, that's true. You can't be taking that. Well, maybe they are. Who knows? I haven't played Ooh. <laughs> uh, it's cooperative but occasionally i stab you uh so king of tokyo it's the classic richard garfield game uh, uses the yahtzee mechanic you roll those dice and here's the thing you can score points in this game and that you could win that way you get to 20 points you win the game it's a race or you could destroy everybody else because why would you not want to do that as one of these monsters so on your turn you can always choose between dealing damage or accumulating points or healing if you want to survive, right? Um, there's also a whole bunch of cards that will come out of the deck that will allow you to do various other things, such as remove people's points. That's an option. You can cut everybody's points in half or to deal additional damage or build up a more powerful attack or just power up your own monster. The goal here is on every turn, you're going to be hitting somebody else at the table. It's very unlikely you don't hit someone. And that makes King of Tokyo just a blast to play. Um, even with my children who sometimes have to take that elements, will get angry at each other. They love this game because it's, it's the dice, right? You don't control the dice that get rolled. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're strategic. Sometimes you're not, but it, at the end of the day, you're a big, scary monster smacking another big, scary monster. And it's perfect for this theme. And finally, our number one, no Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving kind of games is Cash and Gun 2nd Edition. So we already talked about Munchkin. And again, we should talk about John Kovalec's artwork, which is fun and cartoony and lighthearted. And yet, when you play Cash and Guns 2nd Edition, basically what you're doing at the table is pointing foam guns at each other and threatening them to dodge before you play a bank card and hopefully be able to steal the loot that is left from all of these, I guess, Den of Thieves. So primarily it's a fun, quick, you know, kind of fanciful game where you get to point guns at each other, but it's a lot of fun and it's cartoony and no one's going to expect it as you hand out those foam guns at the table in order to try to get the most loot possible. But you can dodge, you can dodge, you can dodge, you could do a lot of kind of fun stuff. There's a lot of ways to get, you know, a lot of those big ticket items. And again, whoever has the most loot at the end wins the game. But primarily, if you're going to take that game's you actually have a game that actually has an actual foam gun into play. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, and if you're not comfortable with the foam gun, there is a Harry Potter version where you can Ooh. point wooden wands at each other. There you so. go. Or sometimes you just do the finger guns. You just do the finger guns. Yeah, it's okay. Guns are fine. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, again, this is all fun about the table and in our Thanksgiving to have everyone there join us at the table, you want to give some no Thanksgiving. So, we're hoping that you have a great No Thanksgiving game time with your family and friends at the table. Hopefully these top 10 games are great inspiration to have a lot of fun with each other. And until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye. See ya.